Marvel, my longtime collaborator, friend. We've toured the world together quite a few times. A little bit of everything. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I remember when you first started your podcast, I was like very excited, but also just like, how are we going to pull it off when I'm a guest? Yeah. <laughs> so I I'm mean, happy to be here. <laughs> that's why I waited off a little bit because I had so many um, conversations with people that were a little bit further away from me because I really kind of wanted to not just have it be me and my friends, even though I have a few of those kind of early on, like Lita's. Um, podcast was definitely that where it was just mm-hmm. definitely turned into just a friendly conversation. But <laughs> I think now that it's you're gonna be episode number 16. So I think awesome. we're starting to get in. So yeah, can you tell everyone a little bit like where you're from and how you kind of got into this world? Because I think most people know of you through like being such a big part of the SF and then Oakland queer porn scenes um, that really pushed queer porn to be a global thing that it is now. But how did you get to that position? I was a total like small town queer. So I grew up in Tacoma, Washington and was like, and then it was in the nineties. I was like high school in the nineties. So I was super into zines and stuff. And second I hit 18, I started doing phone sex because minimum wage is really shitty at the time. It still is. So phone sex is really good for me. So what made you want to do phone sex? Like how did that even get on your radar? Um, gosh, I guess I was just thought it was cool or like interesting. Um, I'm gay. Like I really like women and femmes and, you know, masculine center people. Oh, there's a bisexual part of me as well. But for the most part, I'm like mostly into girls. So doing fun sex with a lot of male clients for me just felt like fun. Um, and more of like a performance. It was really performative. Um, and yeah it was a really great way to make money from home and like i said like i grew up in high school i was really interested in photography writing making zines music uh underground and you know like i was part of like the underground queer scene in olympia when i moved to olympia so um doing sex work doing phone sex in particular was like this really great job that that I could do while I was also doing other things like making art or like I taught myself how to build websites mostly because Mm -hmm. I was sitting in front of computer logged on to the phone sex line um and also I was thinking about this the other day I think Olympia might actually be the phone sex capital of the world because rent is really cheap there um and there's a couple phone sex houses there it's like in a it's in a state capital so there's a lot of sex workers there um and i feel like i was surrounded by other phone sex operators in olympia it's just what we did we like did phone sex and had bams we were all in bams and went to college is this still like that or was that just kind of of the era well you and i have been to olympia like twice since i've lived there Mm -hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I feel like it's still like a really underground punk place with like a lot of kind of broke artists who are just like, fuck it, I'm going to do sex work. Also, it being the state capital, there's just a lot of full service sex work and escorting going on there that people don't even think about. It's such a small town. You'd think all the sex work was in Seattle or Portland, Oregon, but actually like we were just all just squished into Olympia. Mm. 
So how did doing phone sex translate to doing porn? Like what happened? Like Mm -hmm. caused the switch? Like was there porn you were seeing that influenced you that made it be visible as like is an accessible thing to do? Or what made you made the jump from doing phone sex to porn? Because obviously like it's a lot different than like talking on the phone because you're essentially anonymous and then putting your entire self out there in one of the most vulnerable positions you know Mm. I was I was definitely thinking like about how um yeah porn is like a really hyper visible form of sex work for phone sex Mm -hmm. you can kind of just sort of hide behind your ads or you're like your company and you're just a voice Mm -hmm. um but like I said um I was gay and or homo or queer or dykey um and i was talking to a lot of guys like so uh, i kind of got this idea to just like start taking pictures of myself like as like uh my own queer porn star persona um so like i came up with a name and um just started taking pictures of myself self-portraits uh, and like I said, I taught myself a little bit of web design when I was a teenager, mostly like fan sites for bands that I liked, mm-hmm. um, and like a website for my poetry, which is super nerdy, but I swear that's why like, it was so easy for me to like build a website is cause that's what I was doing when I was a kid, just like hold up in my bedroom, learning how to do HTML. Um, so I really wanted to explore the other side of me, like that sexual side of me that was like um like queer and real and like it was a little bit different than like my sex work persona where I was just sort of catering to like the men who would call in Mm -hmm. so that was the initial that was like the big spark was like I want to do porn because in phone sex I'm playing this character that's kind of like this straight girl and I would like to be like the queer femme that I am and Mm -hmm. how is that possible I definitely wanted to be like this is sort of the era of alt porn so like y2k like i started doing porn in like the year 2000 pretty much at least so like these... what was there like porn that was going on at the time that influenced you that you saw oh definitely like the year 2000 2001 2002 like erotic bpm raver porn was coming mm-hmm. out of seattle washington Suicide Girls was coming out of Portland. Uh, I was really interested in, in those sites, but um, they sort of rejected me because I wasn't like their size, their the right size or like the right look or whatever. Um, so I I just sort of like that's why I was just like, oh, maybe I'll put together like a porn site of my own and just do some research and do how to do it because like. I would have, you know, I loved alt porn. I really, I think I mostly just wanted to be a part of alt porn. Mm. Um, And, like, I saw myself in a world for that. And then I also, like, there was actually some queer porn being made in Olympia that was pretty inspiring. My friend Devon Devine was making short films that he was shooting in, like, in alleyways. And, like, the only lighting they had was, like, these cars that they were using the headlights so, like, there was also this website called spread.com mm-hmm. uh, that was out in, like, 2001. That was, like, a bunch of queers. Um, and also, <laughs> like, my hero, Bruce LaBruce, like, my favorite porn movie uh, I can't even remember from that time was called um, 
the revolution is my boyfriend or raspberry mm -hmm. reich uh and it changed my life because i definitely saw how you could have hardcore porn and political content like in the same piece and i think a lot mm -hmm. of my i think a lot of my work sometimes is like hey like you know smash the patriarchy or like you know dice scum like there's little elements of that in my work mm -hmm. even though it can often be just I don't know, pretty porno. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yes, there's some political influences. Um, I'm really glad Bruce LaBruce exists and that his movies came out because he's a really big one for me. Um, I'm also super inspired by Playboy and some of like the 80s and 90s porno mags. Like I saw a lot of Hustler when I was mm -hmm. a kid. Uh, and of course, I feel like talking about my inspirations and my mentors uh, would be really incomplete if I didn't mention Carol Queen, um, who had some books out when I turned 18 and 19 and started doing sex work, specifically her book, Exhibitionism for the Shy, which mm. I feel really touches on how um, it, socially anxious people can actually thrive doing porn and sex work and phone sex and the performative types of sex work where you get to, I don't know, shed your inhibitions and be a, a sex kitten or as I used to call myself and still do sometimes a queer porn icon which mm -hmm. is totally tongue-in-cheek <laughs> it I was mean, supposed to be <laughs> but you are in the definitely like the 10 performers that you know made this whole scene in like the bay area what it is I feel like there's definitely a list of people that it's like you couldn't tell the story of queer form without them I think you're definitely oh one gosh. of those people Thank so you. what made you move from Olympia to here to the bay like what made that jump happen like was it specifically for a porn thing or what really made SF appealing well, it was a really instinctual decision. I was living uh, in a really cute house in Olympia and the owner decided to kick everybody out so his granddaughter could move in. So I was losing my housing mm -hmm. um, and I had graduated from college. I had graduated from Evergreen that year. Um, and one of my best friends, Jerry Lee Manhattan, was moving to San Francisco. Um, and we had planned some stuff to, we had planned like the homo go, go conference together with a, with a bunch of people, with a bunch of friends. We're just, that's where we met. We went on tour together. Um, so when he moved, I realized like a lot of people were moving to San Francisco from Olympia. So the queer underground, like music and art scene had actually sort of like shifted. Like Olympia was kind of the place where queer porn was being made. Um, and then we kind of ran out of people, like everybody moved. <laughs> was so, there like, how much like recognition from outside of the area was the queer porn Olympia getting? Because I honestly don't know much about it at all. Honestly. Oh, it was wild, Chelsea. Um, so like in 2003, I went on tour with Nomi Lamb, who's like a huge influence on me. Uh, look, look her up, look them up. They're like a Jewish amputee, badass, fat ass porn or sorry, pop star, you know, sexual icon, like total goddess, like taught me so much. Like I learned so mm -hmm. much from Nomi Lamb. So she went on tour and she took a bunch of us and I was like a burlesque dancer and like a backup dancer. And I took 
torn, I took Nofa with me. So I shot all the way around the country. We went all the way around the country, Chelsea. We went to mm -hmm. New York. We went to Arizona. I, we were in the South. Like we drove across Montana. Like we drove all the way around the country. Um, and I took pictures everywhere. And I told people about Nofo everywhere. I told people about queer porn everywhere. Um, so like by the time I got back to Olympia in 2003, like there were people all over the country who were on the website. But so like, like was, right from the get go. Was there any like mainstream press that picked it up? Like how mainstream press picked up? what was going on in SF, like how there was um, stuff like, um, you know, just kind of the whole like global or national recognition, or was it more just so localized? It, Still, was, it was a smaller uh, market. I wouldn't say it was a local market because it was online. Like, you know, I was also making friends with, uh, you know, the people behind that strange girl manic jane like some of the other alt porn websites that were happening mm -hmm. at that time and so we were all over the country and, and sort of like all over the world i was sort of meeting people uh me and bella vendetta met online in like 2002 mm -hmm. so there's like always a sort of this network of underground porn happening um and i would really say that it stayed underground and it was like okay. pretty like word of mouth so it was pretty um, underground until the whole mm -hmm. thing happened in SF that mm -hmm, kind of exploded mm -hmm. everything. For sure. Like the one thing that was happening um, and one of the reasons why I moved to San Francisco, because I know you're trying to get that answer out of me, <laughs> was Mills College invited me, just a little old, I was like 21, mm -hmm. <laughs> to come down and teach a workshop um, on DIY porn at Mills College, which is like an all-girls college. Yeah, it's in uh, so, Hills. Yeah, I took the train yep. here um, and taught that workshop and came Wait, back. Wait, you took the train from... Yeah. <laughs> like I, love I love shit. the train. I love the train. That's like a 20-hour like train ride for people yes. who are not on the West Coast. That's so yeah. wild. Also, Chelsea, I really hope we can do a train ride someday. I think we should do I'm it. I'm sure we will again. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I do. I love taking the train. That was, that train ride was 24 hours. And like oh on my, my way home, I was totally writing down this whole list, like in my journal about how we could move to San Francisco and like do NOFO and like take pictures of people and like work at the Lusty Lady and like apply for Honor Backs magazine because like Honor Backs magazine was out of San Francisco. So like I knew some things like Lusty Lady was in San Francisco. Honor Backs magazine was in San mm -hmm. Francisco. Mills College was in San Francisco. And the Lexington Club was in San Francisco. So I was like, oh my God, I could be a gay porn star in San Francisco. I'll just go there. <laughs> <laughs> And like school was over, you know, mm -hmm. everything and everything in Olympia was kind of winding down, like right at that moment, like September 2005. So it was super in, impulsive. I just, I moved down and um, I got a job at Honor Backs the first day I moved to the Bay Area. And um, I didn't know anything about who was making porn here. Um, so this is just that other serendipitous moment of just being like, I don't know what's going to happen when I move to San Francisco. And it's like September 2005. And lo and behold, what happens in November 2005 is Shine puts out the crash pad, which is like sort of like known as like the first queer porn film. Like it came out yeah, on DVD. I think that's definitely the start of the 
modern queer porn movement or i i guess yeah. it's not modern like we really anymore, we really but... needed a film yeah. like nobody nobody had made a dvd like i was already sort of building this website up and people were doing zines and people doing short films um and of course on our backs magazine was like this wonderful queer print magazine with all this beautiful pornography in it um and like that's how i met dylan ryan was through like photos of her in on our backs from the crash pad so i mean what a serendipitous moment to be like oh i think i'm gonna move to san francisco like at the end of this month um because like it's just a really good opportunity and i want to work at the leslie lady and i want to make queer porn and then i move here and i get a job on our backs and i get to make queer porn i feel like that's how these like art scenes and stuff happens that it's just a lot of people kind of all being like oh it's fairly affordable to move here oh there's some people mm -hmm. making some interesting stuff and it just starts to build up so when was it after crash pad built um after they built their um their like first movie came out how long until it actually started like actively clicking that it was going to be a cohesive scene and there there was energy and then more people were coming in here to be involved with it because it sounds like when did your first film come out because theirs came out in 2005 right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then i was i had been okay so you know i'm a photographer so mostly i was just doing this alt porn website thing um but sometime in like 2003 2004 i bought this little digital camera um and it was the first digital camera that i had that you could shoot videos on it's just um, so wild to think that back then it's an it was accident still... based on technology that like you either had a camera or you could do video and it wasn't yeah. like a back ugh, that's so bizarre no, you just really thinking couldn't. in modern times like <laughs> no, these viewers like oh i didn't have anything to shoot it on camera like the first real digital camera that you could take really nice pictures on mm -hmm. the one that i had i got that in 1999 or 2001 like and that's like literally exactly when like sort of the alt porn movement started. So like there's this real argument growing that as soon as the technology is available, uh, underground pornography in, uh, or amateur pornography starts getting made or artists will start making pornography with the new technology. Mm -hmm. So that's what, I mean, that's what happened to me. That's what happened to Bella Vendetta. That's what happened to yeah. Joanna Angel. Joanna Angel actually started Burning Angel like the same year that I started NOFO. So if you kind of just like look at it, like it's that Y2K porn movement. And then that turned into, that kind of died. And then it was like the 2005 to 2010 is kind of like that queer porn movement that like AVN or like Time Magazine called us the queer porn mafia for like a year. Time Magazine um, did? Time Magazine called us the That's queer fucking porn wild. mafia. I had no idea it got that high up. I know. We I guess it gotten... makes sense, though. It truly does. I mean, just that, yeah. like, when I came here, it was so much later on when it was such mm -hmm. a developed scene. But even coming here, it was just like, when you would walk into the armory, I felt like you were walking into, like, a fucking baseball stadium or something with all, like, the flags up every day. And, like, you have the BDSM flag. You have the gay flag. Like... It just felt like I had that thing and everyone 
would like look at you if you walked past that and there was like tours going on in it it just feels like porn was such a different place in sf when i first moved here that was really just kind of an accepted part of the city that you know there's porn stars who live here and now it's just so different and yeah well what's interesting what is interesting is if we go back even further um San Francisco and the Bay Area has always been a wonderful, interesting place for pornography. Like the Mitchell Brothers shooting Mm -hmm. sort of in the golden era, you know, in the 1970s. I guess I'm I'm pretty inspired by that stuff, too. I don't actually get nostalgic around porn around the 70s or 80s. Um, But I can see how that like the way that they were able to start shooting on like you know handheld cameras or 16 millimeter film you know or even like super 8 or whatever like some of that stuff is really fucking beautiful yeah i mean it seems like that's a lot of the same energy that when super 8 cameras came out and when digital stuff came out in the 2000s totally it seems like they're kind of um movements that kind of have a same similar vibe to about artists seizing the means of production absolutely um so when all this shit was happening here when stuff was starting to pick up what was the moment that you knew this whole scene was something more than just oh shine's making some stuff i'm making some stuff like what happened that you really realized the scale of it Um, I mean, I know we just talked about it, but I think it might have been that Time Magazine moment uh, was the first time that a group of us went to the AVN Awards and walked down the red carpet for the first time. So historically, a few queer people have been able to walk down the red carpet, you know, like one or two trans men, um, you know, one or two dyke couples. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the most part, there had been more issues than non-issues. People getting kicked off of the red carpet Mm -hmm. for like being in a same-sex partnership or little things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that year, I I don't know what year it was. Maybe it was 2009. we went to the ABN Awards all together. So it's like me and April Flores, Carlos Batts, her husband, rest in peace, Shine Louise Houston, Jisley, and Dylan Ryan. Um, and we're pretty tight knit at that time. And we're all walking together and we get this picture taken together, um, you know, where like Dylan took a dick out on the red carpet and jizz like got down on their knees and like put dylan's like fake dick in their mouth and like me and me and (laughs) april are just smiling because we're like so happy to be like fat queer people on the red carpet (laughs) and then carlos bats just looks amazing in his tuxedo um and yeah there's a picture that time magazine took and um, I still have it. There's like the little icon in the corner and everything. It's wild. Wow. That was a wild moment. And I'm glad I paid someone to do my makeup, frankly, because I was nervous. I, it's just so <laughs> wild how it went from, I mean, even with that, it was the one year where it's like, okay, queer porn is here for now, but that it's still this ongoing thing where there's performers that like myself, like I've been nominated like eight years in a row now. And it's like, 
when I got here, that wasn't the plan with queer porn. It was, no. you know, if you work really hard, maybe one, one year, one year, they'll be like, Hey, you've been working really hard. We'll give you one. It's just <laughs> well, so wild really excited to think- about things like, uh, like altporn.net talking about us or like a film festival asks for something. And like, yeah. those are really the things we're like, Oh, this is really cool. Or like a magazine wants to interview me about like, the intersections of feminism and pornography. And I'm like more than happy to do that. Like those are really the things where I was just like, wow, this is really cool. Um, and then there was the ABN nominations. When the ABN nominations started coming in, um, things felt really serious all of a sudden. Like, oh, queer porn is being put on the map in a way that um, I definitely think we're ready for. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just so... It's really interesting because I understand where it was. And then I feel like when I came into it, I feel like as much as my career is about, I worked really hard. My work ethic is like unstoppable because I'm Midwestern and stuff. But like when I came into it, there was so much higher press than I think I would have ever imagined. Like when we shot with Bailey J cosmopolitan was there you know or like just like all these things are being like oh yeah I did a thing for glamour magazine or like rolling stone or like all these things that I feel like when I started queer porn that wasn't part of the thing it wasn't this like kind of higher echelon press Mm -hmm. you're getting doing red carpets Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. I feel like when I got into it I was very much like oh yeah everything's gonna be like shooting with Maxine it's gonna be fucking <laughs> manly. It's gonna be like doing all this crazy shit in public and like doing all this really raw stuff. But it's just so strange how this one little movement here with, you know, a, honestly a handful of people that started it, it became I think, this. I think San movement. Francisco, uh, yeah, has really nurtured its porn and sex worker community. Um, for decades and so yeah when a bunch of us creative individuals came along with all this technology mind you mm-hmm. yeah i just think it was bound to happen and and also like with every every good underground art movement well maybe not every good <laughs> underground art movement but underground art movements often get like gentrified or like picked up by the media so I mean, I've been through this before. Like when I was a kid, I was into Riot Girl. Like mm-hmm. I was in the Riot Girl scene. Like I was a little baby, but um, one of the things that I noticed was like, you know, there was always like mainstream press about Riot Girls and like all of the, you know, like you would start to see grunge fashion on the runway, like Fashion mm-hmm. Week. Um, and you start to realize, oh, like people want a piece of this. like there's something we're giving, like we're giving something, like we're serving something that people really need or what people really want. Um, and of course, when, you know, like when corporations or when the media picks up that something is like wanted or needed or popular, it's gonna pick up on it right away. Mm-hmm. So definitely like I, when did you move to San Francisco? Because I definitely feel like the press interest in queer porn, well, not even, the press interest in what people, what they were calling feminist porn or ethical porn yeah, that was, was really, really popular when you moved to the Bay. It was. Um, I moved in 2013 and it was 
I mean, I was there for three months and then they were like, okay, you're on the cover of East Bay Express. And it's like the fuck, <laughs> like that's truly what happened. And there was just so much interest on at our movement that like they went to the trouble films, like where we were doing all of our meetings and stuff. Like that was just a normal day where it was like, okay, so we have meetings at this time, but then local press is gonna come in interview and photog- and do photography on everyone. It's just like such a Why weird thing to that? think about. <laughs> But Sometimes I was now that now I'm thinking about it. I mean, it was all good. I guess like that's the conversation to have is like we definitely invited. I feel like, yeah, there were some high stake stakes moments where uh, we were really willing to like let the outside world see what we were doing. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, I mean, sometimes it feels super overwhelming. Like I actually don't talk to every reporter who contacts me. Um, but the East Bay Express thing was really cute because it was a local journalist and she brought like a photographer and like asked everybody a bunch of questions. And we had this little fake shoot, like it wasn't a real porn set. <laughs> I think we had a regular like trouble films meeting that day when we still had like six directors. Yes. Well, the first we, time we, we had six studio. directors. Yeah. We have six directors now and no studio. Yeah, it's really just wild how much trouble films has grown and really given artists a platform. And I think that's kind of the second um chapter of your public arc. Mm-hmm. I feel like your first mm-hmm. one is you were such a pivotal part to making the SF porn scene happen. You and Shine, I think, are definitely like, for lack of a better term, I'm gonna say in thrash metal terms, you're Metallica and Slayer. Like that's how <laughs> it is. Though. It is true though. Obviously, Trouble Films is though. Like we're, we definitely Only are. Only because it sounds like Slayer. <laughs> but like also, just the stuff we do is like so. We've like kind of stuck to our our guns throughout all of this. Like we're shooting kind of the same content. We're shooting. I would up definitely classify my porn as like continuously punk as fuck and mm-hmm. keep going. I feel like I started out super DIY in the middle. We got some nice cameras and some nice lighting there, and like you know, like when Bailey J reached out, it was like, oh my God, are we making mainstream porn now? But then even that kind of had its little like indie rock, do it yourself kind of vibe to it. And like, I just, you know, I never made enough money to really like fully solidify everything as like a big porn studio. You know, like we don't actually have like a location or uh, DVD distribution, like those kinds of things kind of like, Whereas that was basically 2012 to 2015. And that was, that was maybe like the biggest we ever got, like the busiest, I would say we ever were. Um, and then I, I took a break and went to grad school. And then after grad school, I feel like I got really into performing again. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like directing is fun. And of course, you know, I still shoot things all the time. I love taking pictures. I feel like, you know, I'm not doing like the roulette series anymore. Like I'm not doing, I haven't done a lesbian curves in a few years. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not like active. I don't have like an active film line that I'm doing, but But, I mean, I've been really loving performing. 
Like, I finally made a name for myself as a performer. So now I'm working, you know, like, I don't know. I've had a lot of great scenes. I was thinking about, like, Zara Stardust down in Australia. Like, Angela White, like, for Shape of Beauty. Like, I've gotten to do some really cool things. I think you've always been viewed on the outside as a performer filmmaker. I I think people view your work as much as your your directing I don't think it's they really go hand in hand for me like I I feel like I don't want to I mean that I was like I don't want to bring you any sound bites I don't want to say anything I've ever said before but one of the things I've said many times in, in interviews is like I am like I could not pick one you know like well maybe I could like I could definitely be (laughs) I could just be a performer um but I probably wouldn't get enough work and I also like as a photographer and an artist and I think that those filmmaker directorial storytelling urges do come out they totally go hand in hand I definitely don't think I could be a porn director without actually like really having my skin in the game as a performer. I've always kind of known that about myself is that like, I don't actually, I know a lot of people do, but I don't actually understand how people can make porn without being in it, without having some skin in the game. Yeah, I there's like so you're... there's always a difference to me when a director has never been in porn. I'm like, oh, why not? Why haven't you been in porno? Like, why are why are why are we over here and you're over there? Let's switch the tables. So I'm always willing. Like, if I weren't willing to get in front of the camera, like I would just not make porn. That would be so weird to me. I feel like all the directors who I have worked with, who are, I think there's a big difference. There's a lot of porn directors who are. I feel like, you know, just the authority figure on set, but I feel like there's also a second type of director that's really trying to facilitate a story and really doing that whole thing. And the person I see it most from is Ricky Greenwood. I Mm, think I love his work. Yeah. I feel like being on set with him is it's almost it's different, but it almost reminds me of four chambers in a way, but with a different Mm. angle. Uh-huh. Where Four Chambers is all about trying to create a very creative, like experimental space. I feel like he equally does that with his style of films. And I feel like it really comes across on set like that. That is a real true collaborative thing. And I think people like that, like directors like that, I think that's going to be the future of the industry. Because I think it's just going to be more and more performers wanting to own stuff and wanting more control. And I think... definitely eventually all these studios are going to start losing so much money that they're not going to be having the big budgets. And so must going to be performers trying to reach out to directors and filmmakers who they know they can work with and know that they both have the same end goal and the same vision. It and I don't think there's really, very many people like that in this industry, truly. Absolutely fascinating that you say that because that's exactly how my scene for adult time happened was Angela White and I became friends in the past few years. We both have um, similar academic interests, actually, Mm -hmm. when we're thinking about porn literacy. Um, So we really wanted to shoot together and we were trying to figure out 
you know, if we just wanted to do it on our own, like together, if we were going to have Angela White on Trouble Films, could you imagine? Like all these different opportunities. And then we were like, she reached out and asked Brie Mills if she would direct us. Um, and then Brie Mills reached out to Whitney Wright and said, hey, will you produce this? And then they got back to us and we were like, we have this really good idea. It's all about your friendship. And so that's how I see porn happening a lot these days is mm -hmm. that like porn stars develop relationships with each other, be it through social media or the conventions or living in the same town mm -hmm. or pen pals, whatever. Um, and they reach out to directors that exactly, as you said, they reach out to directors they want to collaborate with. And then a week later, the director comes back with this beautiful script that completely suits everything you were looking for in mm -hmm. a scene. Um, and says, hey, do you want to do this? You know, and like, what do you want your crew to look like? And what do you want for lunch? Um, and like that, I mean, like working for adult time is like crazy privilege. Like that's like one of the biggest companies you could possibly get a job for mm -hmm. uh, in the adult industry right now. So like to actually see how it functions at that level right now, um, I can completely agree with you. Like I really, I really think that the relationships between two performers is really like having an effect on how porn is cast and stories are told and directed. And I love making movies with you too. I mean, that's probably the people who are listening to this conversation probably know me best and you best for the movies we made together. For sure. I also as feel like just, weird as they are. <laughs> also, I just feel like um, with Trouble Films as a whole, it's just so much now just about what performers are doing on their own time and making it on their own right like, that since age has seen like a straight up renaissance in their career that mm -hmm. they've accomplished everything they could at studios and then mm -hmm. when we first started talking mm -hmm. to sin it was like okay so i want to keep i have all these scenes how can i make these movies and then that's literally been the last like three years of sin just continuously putting out really great lesbian content mm -hmm. and that's now part of trouble films and it's even more that we can have other directors like um mr Mistress, April um, Flores. Yeah. Um, oh, you're trying not to say her real name. Katie Kanako. Mistress yeah. Kanako. Yeah. I mean, I feel Tokyo. like it's so interesting that we can do that now. Or even work with um, collectives like the Amsterdam Queer Porn Collective. Like, oh, I just yeah. feel like it's, there's so much more that's just performers with performers and literally mm -hmm. having nothing to do with the studio. You don't have to call anyone <laughs> to be like, can we get funding for this? It's like, no, we can make it on our own. We'll do it on our own. And that's like, I think the truly amazing thing about Trouble Films. And because before I feel like it was still, I feel like Trouble Films had some growing pains because we were still, I feel like operating on the old thing where it was like, okay, this is the set rate people need for scenes. Everyone's trying to raise money to have their own like films come out. And it felt like uh -huh. there was so much of that stuff going on when it was, you know, six, seven people at the company before. And then the it was entirety. like you and I for a second. <laughs> and then it's, we brought people in and I feel like <laughs> what we're doing with East Bay Brats is also a very good example of that, where it's like everyone's get what gets what they want. Our overhead <laughs> is like nothing. I mean, truly right. we went, we went from spending about like five to 10 K on a movie with like fucking mystic. That was a mm -hmm. lot of money. That was a lot now, of money. Now with um, 
Please pay bribes. We're paying the rental fee essentially. And then just editing in ourselves. So it's like (laughs) a few hundred dollars split by five people. (laughs) Well, technically from like, if we, if like, if like, you know, I guess I'm the CEO of Trouble Films. This is funny. If some CEO of Trouble Films were to come out and say like where all the money goes, you know, like uh, everybody in the East Bay Brats is getting paid um, because they're they're selling it. They own their content. They sell it themselves. And then the other thing that I, that Trouble Films does is we, we pay them out because it's a collective. Um, and like, as you, I mean, obviously, as you know, same with the filmmakers, we pay everybody out. And I think that just comes from like, you know, I said earlier, like, I don't think I could be a director without having performed so much. And I mm-hmm. think like what I really see trouble films right now is kind of like this umbrella label that like treats the people who are like making films for it, like as partial owners, even if it's like, that's not like super possible. Um, I just really believe that, like, um, we should all be sharing. Yeah, I mean, I think it just gives a platform for a lot (laughs) of performers who just, like, truly wouldn't have, there's just not very many companies doing what we're doing, I feel like. I think that's a really unique thing. Well, I just tried to think about, like, you know, as a performer, you know, what, what would I want? Like, what's, like, what are, like, the bare necessities for me? Mm -hmm. And, like, what would be nice? And, like, you know, after 20 years, I just continually think, like, it would be nice to own, like, a little piece of everything I made. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's not it's not so bad. Like, if I'll just talk about, like, you know, my collaboration with Four Chambers. Back when they first started, I performed with Four Chambers. Um, and that was a content trade because they didn't have the funding. And they don't do content trades anymore. Like, they have the funding. Um and so you're able to make things possible with very little funding um, when you're collaborating with other mm-hmm. sex workers. For sure. I also because otherwise like it, we just wouldn't have we wouldn't have a job. I also <laughs> also feel like it gets people more invested in their own career as opposed to just going there, shooting a scene, getting your three hundred dollars, and leaving. Absolutely. And, and I think that's a really big thing that you're really investing in your own career and your own career trajectory trajectory moving forward if you're gonna Mm -hmm. become a huge international porn star that people are gonna know you're gonna make the money off of your stuff as opposed to some site that has 600 other girls on it (laughs) and I mean it's not so bad like I think performers do really have a way to monetize all of their scenes like I still make a little bit of money off of my shape of beauty scene just from affiliate stuff you know so it's like at some at a point in your career as a porn worker, you have to decide like whether or not like you're going to have that website. I think that's like a big choice for everyone. Are you going to do mm-hmm. a site? Are you going to have a paywall? You know, now it's as easy as like finding, you know, like a fans, an OnlyFans or a Fansly or mm-hmm. Avian Stars or something to put your own content up on and monetize it. But um, yeah, that's a huge part of what we do now. <laughs> So you've obviously performed in a lot of scenes over the last over. They keep over, popping up in my mind, like, oh, what scenes do I want to talk yeah. about? And I'm like, oh God, there was Nat Portnoy. Like there was Is there so any many scenes people. that you wish you could do over? I have one. 
Oh my, I wish people could see my face right now. I'm like in shock. I would like to do our scene from fucking Mystic over again. Oh, that was like the worst. There were so many <laughs> difficulties know. during that scene. Oh it was like one of the most stressful days on set. And people love that scene, um, which I'm thankful for because I thought we were going to have to throw it away. Like we had to put, there was like lights in the mirrors and like there was like carpeting on the floor. And the person who worked at Fantasy Makers was a totally mean lady. And we had like, a light break. It like shattered the and then like this the stuff like some of the acts we were doing just like didn't match the timeline like it just yeah i would do that one over again because if i had you in a dungeon with like all of the equipment that we had and it was just the two of us and i really was playing that persona of like like a housewife soccer mom slash kidnapper mm-hmm. i think i would have totally done different things i would have like tied you up in rope and like slapped you a bunch and like made you say forced you to say you needed to stay you wanted to stay or something like i would have been way more mean and um i just that's the one i would do over again there's all there's always future paper <laughs> scenes so there's always oh exactly future opportunities i'll say would you like to go back into the <laughs> with me not that dungeon ever Never. again. Well, that dungeon is gone, which is why I said the name. Oh, yeah. It was like if your aunt, like great aunt, had a BDSM dungeon, but like didn't change any of the decoration. There was literally like neon art from the 80s in the hallway. It was like terrifying. clown masks and stuff and not even like a scary way, like just a decorative way. Oh my God. And then she berated me because I didn't have a checkbook. I was like, you don't I mean, have that was, PayPal. That, that was a little like, bit real. That was a little okay, bit real. Okay, yes, I understand. We didn't have the money and we were like- fourteen. We were like in the middle of the scene and then- we're like, oh, Courtney, do you have the money for it? And you're like, oh, no, I'm I forgot sorry. it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that was the one thing that I think she had a reason to be upset about. Right. It was definitely one of those moments where, like, do we just need to pack up everything in the car and just, like, run away? Yeah. I remember going to dinner <laughs> I after that. I haven't had too many moments like that where I'm just like, why do I feel like we escaped, like, death somehow? I remember going to dinner after that and everyone was just, we all three of us were just quiet, just sitting there. It was mm-hmm. just like, no. Um, no, never see, do that again. The only never one, again. the only scene I really wish I could go back to was the scene with Bailey J just because I was so new and I was so starstruck. And that it scene was, is so good and so popular. Oh my God. That's see, why you want to do it again is because yeah, everybody on earth because it was like it. nominate. No, I think a lot of people have seen it and stuff. But, like, I feel like of any scene I had, that was the closest to, like, getting to the next level of, like, maybe, like, winning some major awards that I'm, like, I wish I had a little bit more experience. That was the first time I was ever in New York. It was also Bailey J's first scene out of retirement. True. And it's just, like, oh, yeah, you're going to work with, like, literally the most iconic trans woman ever to do porn. Here you go, Chelsea. It was just like, oh my God, I can't. I was like, starstruck just being in the same room as her. I was also nervous and starstruck, but she walked into the hotel room and she was starstruck because she had just run into John Waters on the street. 
because we were like in this fancy part of Manhattan, like outside of the Gramercy Park. So she had run into John Waters and she was like, oh my God, oh my God, I just ran into John Waters. And you and I were just like, oh my God, we just ran into you. Yeah, I mean, like everything about that was there like, okay, so she ran to John Waters. It was like first time in New York. And then it was like, okay, then, so we're gonna quick do this scene. And then Cosmopolitan's coming over and we're doing an interview with them. And I'm like, I lived in, I think it was only like maybe six months prior, I was living on a college campus. So I'm like, it was a big shift in a short period of time for me. Chelsea, I had literally never been reached out to by a journalist who wanted to talk about trans, lesbian, porn, and feminism before. Yeah, it was. It was a moment, okay? It was a lot. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> that came out of nowhere. I feel like if I was um, maybe another year in the industry, I felt like I could yeah. do that better. There was but... definitely a little bit of attention beforehand. Like, we, ha- we haven't talked about uh, it much, but one of my favorite people to collaborate with and perform with has been Toby Hillmeyer. Um and also her friend Drew DeVoe, uh, who I met in Toronto. So me and Drew DeVoe and Toby Hillmeyer were all at the Feminist Porn Awards one year. And Vice Canada was there, like Vice mm-hmm. TV. Um, and they interviewed us on television. And that same week, like the Canadian news was like in my hotel also interviewing people. Which there's just been some really weird moments. Hmm. Where I'm just like in a room with my friends and we're making porn. And then all of a sudden this guy from BBC is like in the corner taking notes. Like we're like lab rats or something. If it wasn't for the BBC, I would have never started this podcast. So For real? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I had the worst interview with them. Very bad. Uh, Yeah. But in a roundabout way, this is how this happened. It's so important that you know, you're doing this podcast and that like you're contributing to like conversations that sex workers and like porn workers are like porn performers are having with each other. Cause yeah, when mainstream media, this has definitely been the lesson of this podcast is to be careful of mainstream media and just only do the things you want to do. Don't, don't give them everything you've got, you know, like you don't have to tell them your whole life story. Cause Sometimes they'll ask you some pretty intense questions about like your childhood or like stuff like that. So, you know, if you're a new performer and you have like journalists and press reaching out to you about what you're doing, you know, take stock and try, try to see through their eyes. Like, what is it that you're attracting? You know, like, are you starting a movement? You should know, <laughs> like, you know, like what if journalists are attracted to you, like maybe something is happening, but also take care of your soul, like take care of your heart. You know, I mean, you and I have both gotten super into like mindfulness and, you know, I think we're, I think being kind of a spiritual person can really help when you're a performer and you want to be around for a long time, you know, you really got to be able to like survive in between bookings or like create your own universe to survive in. Cause otherwise like it can just be, yeah, you know, one interview, like one interview could really just like send you into a spiral if it goes bad. Like 
you know, or like sometimes a scene, like a bad scene doesn't go right. And you could just be like, fuck this. I quit. Like, it's not worth it. And like, maybe you are right. Maybe it's not worth it. Like you should always trust your gut. Like there have been times where I've quit, you know, I, 2015, I quit. I realized I was starting to get a little bit bored of watching people fuck. I was like, oh, my God, if I see one more butt. And I was just like, Courtney, that's no way to be a queer pornographer. So I went on sabbatical. Um, and I was just like, I don't think I should shoot porn again until, like, I can, like, see a butt and be like, ooh, it's a butt. And, like, get excited, you know, mm -hmm. which is definitely now. Like, we're good. I'm healed. But sex worker burnout is a real thing. So sometimes sure. you do just got to take a break and just, like, find something else to do and um, and not let those, like, bad shoots like the one we had for fucking miss it, like, get you down because that movie turned out great and people love it. And it started a whole new movement. Like, we talked about, like, the early times, yeah. but my life has just been one movement after another. Mm -hmm. And, like, you're really. a huge part of that. Yeah, I feel like I'm really lucky to have come here when I did. And I feel like in a way it's almost um, almost cheating in a way because I feel like I got the end of it and then I got all the press from it. So it feels a little strange like that. Like there's a band from my hometown. That's definitely the same thing where they weren't necessarily the best band, but they were here at the right moment and connected. So yeah, yeah. Like I, I feel, feel like we're you and I are like exactly like that. Like we're not like the best band, like, but we're really connected. Um, yeah. And I, I'm your friendship is really, really changed like my commitments to this company to like the company Trouble Films because mm -hmm. um, I really love seeing what you make, um, and I really love like relinquishing you know like the power and the privileges that kind of come along inherently with being a director because I don't actually really like that power balance that much I, I, I would rather just have porn people be porn people I guess all of us involved in the making and creating and the celebrating of the art or the product or whatever you want to call it yeah I completely agree with that I have two more questions for you. Okay. <laughs> so you've obviously like you've won feminist porn awards. You've won an ex-biz award screened kind of all around the world. What's something that you still want to accomplish in your career that you haven't also part of that because the company hasn't won an AVN. What would that mean if that does happen? <laughs> would that be some sort of completion or is it just kind of, if it happens, it happens. Well, first of all, if we won an AVN award, it would definitely be just the beginning all over again, because then we would be starting our journey as an AVN award-winning porn company. <laughs> so that would be a beginning. I It would be a jump start. Um, I hope that like when I retire, like maybe I'll get like some kind of lifetime award from somewhere. I don't know. But like, I just try not to think about that because, you know, it's, it's just an award. I'm an, like an underground queer porn artist. And like, that's how I live my life. And you and I have had conversations about like how cool it is that like AVN and XBiz have taken notice. Um, but oh, man, at the end of the day, it's just, it's just like this nice extra thing. Um, but it would mean a lot. I think, like, the recognition, you know, of 
of an AVN award or even like another XBiz award um, would just give us sort of like the confidence to maybe like do something bigger because I mean you've asked me like what haven't I accomplished yet like uh, most of my films ha have been really small budget things like mm -hmm. you know make it with whatever we have lying around so it you know a lot of the film ideas like the directorial ideas that I have now cost a lot of money you know mm -hmm. like I really want to make like a whole movie about like leather and femdoms and submissives and I want the whole cast and a storyline and it takes place in a certain place that I'm not going to say in this podcast that's going to cost a lot of money frankly mm -hmm. to shoot at um so I think making like another big budget film would be great as a performer as you know I started out in alt porn I started out doing modeling for photos mm -hmm. <laughs> for photos <laughs> um i would love to be a lingerie model but even more so like i think playboy would be just the ultimate gig mm. um if they would just have me because i love still photography um i love their aesthetic i've been looking at playboy since i was six years old like that shit like is like my formative nature mm -hmm. i am gay because of playboy that was the first naked ladies that i saw um it's like a magazine even though it's online it still has yeah i'm like i don't know if it's a magazine anymore no, no, but I know. yeah it's all online <laughs> but it still has a magazine aesthetic with like the merch yeah. the bunny and i don't know mm -hmm. um Maybe Anna Fox could direct me or something like that would be like that. So if I could just like wake up tomorrow and my dream job came along, it would definitely be Holly from Playboy texting me and being like, it's time, boo. Come be a Playboy bunny. That it feels real and not real at the same time because I know the all of the limitations around Playboy. Um my age, my size, my tattoos, like there's so many things. So it's still just a pipe dream. That's a good thing to have though. Also, if you yeah. and I could go to Tokyo, that would be really fun. More of like I'm an underground, underground queer porn field trip to Tokyo would be great. So we could see. I'm sure it's possible. So we yeah. can work with our crew there. Yeah, I'm really excited to. Mm -hmm go back to Japan sometime soon. It was a really great experience there the first time. And yeah, it's so wild just not traveling at all after our lives were so on the road. I and, know. You know, just going from different country to different country. Um, I really so, have loved traveling the world for this definitely. film festivals and stuff like that. So the question I ask everyone at the end, if you could magically <laughs> change one thing in porn that tomorrow is magically different, what would it be? free testing <laughs> it really That's is I, I i yeah. thought about all of these things and like i you know i've told you before i'm an avid listener of your podcast someone said that i don't remember who but someone did <laughs> i've listened to many many episodes of your podcast and like i think a lot of people are like talking about ways to switch up power like mainstream porn is really racist and fat phobic and transphobic and like the people who sell it use slurs and so i could say let's get rid of slurs let's like get rid of the men that sounds great like i could have all these like great magical ideas of poof but like at the end of the day porn is a medium it's also like a way that a lot of people make money so like if you strip away the like 
the awards, all the fancy shit, ABN, yeah. the fame, notoriety. There's like thousands and thousands of people out there who are just doing porn to get by and to make mm -hmm. to make their rent money. You know, I think you and I are actually two of those people at the end of the day. Um, and the one thing we all need to do is to get tested. So yeah. industry standard is to get tested, you know, 14 days, have it that, you know, have your test in the green for the 14 days, mm -hmm. shoot as much as you can, then you get tested again. I would love to see that testing be taken care of. Yeah, I think that's such By a the, big issue. Whatever the um, government takes care of, I don't care who takes care of it. Yeah, it would be very nice if there was some sort of something with that because I feel like we're seeing the issues with content trade and testing going on in Vegas uh -huh. right now where there's reports of fake tests and all sorts of kind of messed right. up things happening that I the guess tests are, are very expensive, like between 150 and $250, depending on where you get them. The COVID test is also like has been added to it. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that's what I would do. Very good answer. Um, yeah. Can you plug all your social media? Totally. Um, if I have a bunch of websites, so if you want to watch our porn, just go to troublefilms.com. If I can yes. just plug that because you can buy a membership and you'll get access to queer porn TV, you'll get access to NOFO and you get access to my solo site, which is xxx.courtneytrouble.com. So if you want to go to that website, you can see where all the porn is. Um, I'm on Twitter at Courtney Trouble. We also have the Trouble Films Twitter and what else i do premium feeds so it might be only fans it might be something else but if you go to troublefans.com troublefans troublefans.com it automatically will forward you to only fans or fansly or wherever i end up after i think only fans will probably be dead by the time this thing comes out so Oh no, this is coming out literally in two hours. So you're Oh ready. my god, that's right. It's yeah. coming out in two hours. Okay, so <laughs> hi everybody. Now go follow me on OnlyFans, Courtney Trouble, or uh I'm just Courtney at AVN Stars. Wow, you have that one. <laughs> I do, I do. I yep. There's also I'm also on Instagram, Courtney Trouble. It'd be cute to see people there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the pod, Courtney. Your podcast is so wonderful and thanks for having me as sweet 16 and i'm i'm glad we didn't like tell too many secrets <laughs> <laughs>